So let's rewind and go back to where we started in this series. We've been looking at Romans chapter 12 together and kind of looking through how a Christian might live after God's heart. We started by reading that Paul writes to the Romans that they should offer their bodies as living sacrifices to God. This would be their holy and pleasing way that they could go after God. It was to go full in with their whole lives, not withhold anything from God. And then when, as believers together begin to do this, they begin to form up a body that really works. They begin to not look like the world looks, but they begin to act like how God acts. Paul is calling the Roman church to not fall into culture's way of doing things, but instead to look like God, to use the gifts that God gives, to act like how God acts with everything they were to do. They were even supposed to start looking like he does when it comes to loving. Paul argues that we should love each other diligently, that we should be known as people who love one another, that we should be patient in hope. Remember this? Be patient in affliction, persistent in prayer. That we were to take care of one another, that we were to bear each other's burdens, that we were to do life together. On Wednesday night as we were here, as we were setting up, I, I saw a picture of this. I saw people working together that typically are in different ministries in our church. They may serve in our kids' wing, but that night they were serving along our music ministry. And, and we began to look like what I believe the real church should look like, and that's this. We don't belong to anyone but each other and to God. And when we come together, when we start to use our gifts together, all of a sudden the world wants to show up to see what that looks like. So I wanted to share with you my experience from Wednesday night. What it looked like from my set of eyes. As a staff, we have been preparing for this day. Um, man, so thankful for our ministry worship team who kind of put the legwork behind Wednesday nights of our block party. We got everything started to be set up. The wind uh, tore down a couple of our, our awnings. If y'all have ever set those up, those portable awnings, they are just kites that we anchor to the ground, aren't they? And, and it, a couple of them just fell in, but that was okay. We, we worked around that. But as everything's about to kick off, I had this weird sensation. It was a headache that had a stomachache attached. I felt weak all of a sudden. I began to look around and think, I wonder what it would feel like if the pastor just threw up in the middle of this ceremony time. <laughs> How cool that would be. You know, everybody's, you know, sitting there throwing cornhole and, you know, getting some food from sticks and there's the pastor. Huh, nice. So I looked at my staff and I was like, I've got to go lay down somewhere. And so I, I I work my way through the sanctuary here, and I get to about right here, and I'm like, this is it. I, this is that moment that the pastor's going to throw up in the sanctuary. How do you explain that? I mean, how do I call Craig and say, hey, Craig, can you send a staff member with a bucket and a mop and maybe a vacuum cleaner? I threw up in the sanctuary. That wasn't going to happen. So then I get really determined, and I don't know if you've ever had that moment of just, I'm going to make it. So I started working my way through, and I get to my office, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, because we had babies. I, I know how to breathe, so I'm, I'm doing the breathing. Whew, 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 
thinking, this is awful. And I, I laid down on my couch, and I'm thinking, here I am the pastor. I'm not at an event. I'm, I'm laying on my couch. If anybody would have come by then to my office, that would have been like, yep, I always knew that's what pastors did. <laughs> yeah, work on Sundays only, rest the rest of the week, right? So I'm sitting there, I got my feet up, and I'm like, this is how it ends, you know, in my office. This is awful. I was laying there, and I thought, I don't want to be here. I want to be outside. I want to be around people. I had a chance to meet a few people before I went to my office, and, and then I get a text. It's raining. And I went, oh. And so I threw my feet, you know, onto the floor, and I'm sitting there on the couch, and I'm like, okay. God, you're going to have to help me because I feel awful. I didn't realize at the time, but April's had these moments that you get overheated. And I've never done that before. I started taking decongestant because I got whatever this cool stuff is. And evidently I hadn't drank enough water or something, and so it, it hit me then. Moving stuff around, moving chairs, tables, getting, you know, zoning set up. And, you know, God was like, hey, let me show you what happens when you don't drink enough water and you take decongestants. You pass out. Uh, so I didn't. So I go back outside, and it's raining, and everybody's kind of scrambling around. And, and I got to meet a few more families and introduce them to our church and just invite them here. And one of the families said something to me I thought was interesting. They said, so what do we have to do to be here? I said, well, hey, did y'all sign in with your kids? You know, we'd love to meet you and send you some stuff about the church. They said, no, no, no. Like, what do we have to do to be here, though, like? Do we have to join the church to come and hang out? And I thought, wow, no. Just come and hang out with us. Come be around us. Come see how we act. Um, I saw them walking around and talking with families in our church and just laughing and having a good time. I believe that when the church shows love, the world will line up to see it and wonder how they can be a part of it. It was, a, it was one of those times for me that I wish everybody would have got to experience it. By the way, it did rain again. We, we called it and about, it took us what, about an hour or so to kind of get everything set up. It took us about 10 minutes to get it torn down. Now, I will say a big thank you to our maintenance crew and staff who put everything up uh, on Friday, on Thursday, because it, it was just inside the door and wet. Um, so thank you to you guys that did that. Um, what an amazing moment we get to have today that you get and I get to have right now together. This is a glimpse of heaven, a chance to worship Jesus deeply and to seeing how great his faithfulness is and how while we didn't even deserve it, his faithfulness is new every morning. That's what you just sang, by the way. What an amazing moment we get to do to look into his word and hear from him and not from me. Because that's that glimpse of heaven that you and I get to take together. So for those of y'all that came and I believe got to exercise a piece of heaven on Wednesday night, thank you. Thank you for coming and showing love to people. And thank you for doing so without any attachments, with no hooks, just love. It was fun, wasn't it? Maybe we'll do it again soon. I want to pray for us before we go to the text. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to just come before you. Lord, thank you that while we don't deserve it and we haven't earned it, your mercy is new every day to us.
You engage us. You desire to speak to us. You desire to make us new. So God, may we take this moment serious. And God, may we not miss any piece of it. Because your faithfulness is great. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for Jesus Christ, his love and sacrifice for us. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fall deeply on this place. And we'd be changed by it forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. My dad grew up around Hobbs and Lovington his whole growing up life. He grew up with two older brothers. His oldest brother was very analytical. His middle brother was the party animal, and my dad was the baby. And as they were growing up, this caused issues and joys for my grandparents. Uh, They loved having the three boys, but they were always into something. Uh, One day it was finding blasting caps out at the city dump and carting them from the city dump to the front porch of my my dad's parents' house. How they didn't explode, we don't know. God's grace is faithful. Um, But uh, one particular time, my dad was at school and he had a couple of bullies. And they were chasing my dad around and punching him and kicking him. And my dad went home and his middle brother, the party animal, said, what's going on with you? My dad said, all these two boys just keep finding me and hurting me. I don't know what to do. And he goes, I'll tell you what you're going to do. Tomorrow after school, you're going to find them. You're going to tell them they can get out of your face or take it. And then you're going to run. You're going to run around the school and you're going to come to the back of the school. That's all you need to know. So my dad went, okay. So he found them and my dad said, I don't know what I said, but it was enough. And the chase began. My dad made it around the corner and he saw his middle brother, the party animal, waiting. And as that boy turned the corner... My dad's middle brother knocked him out. Hurt his fist. I don't know if you've ever punched somebody in the face. It's not just fun. It's not movies. It rolls back the skin on your knuckles. But he willingly did it for his little brother, who I'm pretty sure he punched out as well. But that day, my dad didn't have to fight his battles. He had somebody bigger than him, who knew more than he did, and he was willing to stand in the gap for him. It made my dad love his middle brother. Because he fought his battles. In Romans, you got to capture again with me. These people are scattered all amongst the Roman Empire. And as he's writing them, he's reminding them that living after Jesus would cost them everything. It wouldn't be an easy life for them. Serving after Jesus would rightly cost them their lives, their livelihood, their everything. Because of the tension that was there. As Paul writes these people, remind yourselves, he's saying it's worthy to give Jesus your everything, your whole lives. Work together at this thing. Hold each other accountable. Work as a team. And what happens is everyone around will see the love that you have. And then he ends with this in verse 17. Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because as it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, 
but conquer evil with good. Remind yourselves again what their lives must have looked like. The tension that they must have felt. As these early Christians are living out their faith, some of them have come from Judaism into Christianity to follow after a Jesus. That would have cost them their families. Many of them had businesses associated with probably the temple. It would have cost them their business. It would have put them in tension with Rome, who was out against Christianity. It would have cost them their lives. Everything to follow Jesus was costly to this group of people. And so you can just see it that as Paul writes to them, he feels like they feel. Let's remind ourselves of Paul's story. Starts his life as Saul, very educated, very much in the temple, very much a devout person of faith. He goes around persecuting Christianity because he sees it as blasphemy. Blasphemy is the ability for us to see an untruth and call it an untruth. And he was willing to die for this. In fact, he was willing to kill for this. He was very devout in his faith. And he lived a life where he would go around and persecute Christians because they were blasphemous. How dare they say that Jesus is God? Blasphemy. And so he went around and persecuted them until that day came on the road, correct? As he's going along, he is thrown from his donkey, he sees the bright light, and he hears the voice say, why do you persecute me? And he says, well, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He changes Paul's outlook. He takes him and God calls Saul and he changes his name to a regional name of Paul. He calls him to a people group. And he says to him, now you got to go after me. From then on in his life, he is rejected. From then on in his life, he is persecuted. Saul would have lived a very cushy life. He was high up. He was known. People celebrated him. They cheered for him. He probably had everything he wanted. But as Paul, he is thrown away by everyone. We see it throughout Scripture now that everywhere he goes, he will be questioned. Everywhere he goes, he will be persecuted. His life is full of persecution from the moment he follows after Jesus. It sounds different than what we hear in preaching today, doesn't it? We hear that if we follow after Jesus, our life becomes awesome. But that isn't what he gave to Paul, and Paul wrote most of the New Testament. How is it that we found ourselves there? And I can tell you why I think that's true. I think it's easier to find a following after Jesus if we get his stuff. Oh, if you follow after Jesus, he will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if he doesn't, then, oh, you must not know Jesus because that's what he wants for you. Let me tell you what Jesus wants for you. Dependence upon him. That's what he's going to give you. It's what he gave to Paul. You know what Paul doesn't complain about at the end of his life? Stuff. Never once. He never says, but God took it all away from me, and I'm so mad about that. He could have. Probably would have been justified, right? Had you known him, and you sat down to coffee with him, and he said, listen, I used to have it all. I had the houses. I had the prestige. I had the money. I had the power. I had, it, had all this good stuff. And after following Jesus, now I'm in prison, persecuted, hurt, left alone. Even those that follow after Jesus don't like me very much. That's Paul's true story, by the way. 
And this is the guy writing to the Romans. He can identify with them. He can understand their hurts. He can understand their persecution. He can understand their, the way of life they're living after because it's his. And today we may miss Paul a little bit because we don't quite get the tension. So we have to build the story around the tension. What if today, what if today as we left the church, the local police department was waiting outside for us? And all they would ask you as you walked out the door is, do you believe in Jesus? If you said yes, they would put you in a police car, they would take you downtown, they would beat you up in a prison cell, and they would leave you there. How much fun does that sound to fall after Jesus? Or how about this? Monday morning when you go into work, your boss finds you, and he says to, the, to you these words, I heard that you started falling after Jesus. Is this true? And you said, well, yes. And he said, you're fired. Take your stuff and go. It would be difficult, correct? You might question whether or not you could really follow after this Jesus guy, but that is exactly what the Romans are facing. That's their lives. That's their days. And as Paul writes to them, he's encouraging them. He's trying to equip them. And he says to them these words, starting in verse 17, don't repay evil for evil. Do you think they saw evil? You know they did. And here's the thing for us today. Evil always desires a receipt. It wants a receipt for being evil. It wants you to know it's evil and it wants you to repay it with evil. It desires a receipt from your life. And it's easy to do so. It's easy in our culture to repay evil for evil because we feel justified in being loud. Oh, if we could just be loud, people will hear the gospel. Instead, why don't you just share the gospel? Instead of being the first person on the picket line, why don't you be the first person that serves? That's Romans chapter 12. He's telling the Romans to do something that we struggle with as Christians. We as Christians in America must desire the gospel to be shared more than we desire for us to be celebrated. The hardship with it is this, we would rather be celebrated. Every year, uh, there's a magazine that goes out that lists the top 100 growing churches in America. It comes in my mailbox every year. And in every year, they, they comb through all the data and they look up all the churches and the numbers they are getting, and they put them in this magazine, and they say, this is the fastest growing church in America, and they do that from number one to 100. And in it, you can flip through the pages, and you can go to church number 37. And in church number 37, you can look and see everything they've done to grow. I've met one of these churches. I met their pastor. They were the 78th fastest growing church in America. Their membership hasn't gone up. And you start to wonder, how do you grow if you don't grow? We want to be celebrated more than we want to look like Jesus. We want our names and lights. We want to be celebrated as something great. And Paul's writing them and saying, Jesus is great. Act like him. Let him be celebrated. Let his name be in lights. Die for that. So he tells them, don't repay evil for evil. That's a hard sentence to choke down when you see evil in the face every day. 
as they walked to go worship together, as they went to work, as they dropped their kids off at the synagogue. You can just see it. Evil was in front of them. And they didn't know how to handle it. And Paul's telling them, don't repay it back. Take the evil. And then he gives them these words, Be, give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Our actions should be honorable to everyone. But what was it like to be a Roman citizen, a follower of Jesus? Tension on one side of religiosity. Tension of the other side of you with government. And this tension is pushing in on you and your family. It would have been hard-pressed to be a man with a family as a Christian in Rome. Because you didn't know if somebody's going to come take your family just to teach you a lesson. Only thing I can give an answer to was India for me. And I've shared this with you before. Right in the middle of Bangalore, India on Sunday morning, we decided to get up and go to church. And we, we walked through the city, and everywhere we go, where we would go, we would have to be very careful with how we presented the gospel. Because while we were there, we didn't go as evangelists. We went as people who helped people with orphanages and refugees. And so we got up, we got dressed, and we walked through the city of Bangalore. I, I really thought that we would end up somewhere like in a home. But instead, we ended up upstairs right above local restaurants and, and fair. And as we walk up the stairs, right on the wall, it said, Bangalore Baptist Church meets Sundays at this time. And I went, oh, no. Because in India, the persecution of Christianity is okay. It's mostly Hindu and Muslim. And there is not a whole lot of room for Christians. And so we walked up the stairs, and as I'm walking in, the men sat on one side of the room, the women sat on the other side of the room, and the kids sat either in the front or the back. And I got to tell you, when I walked in there, I was fearful. I mean, I, they moved us all the way up to the front to sit on the side of the stage. And as we're sitting there, my eyes constantly watched the back door. Because all I could think is if somebody comes in that room, what are we going to do? That is our only exit. To get out, I've either got to jump out the window or go back through that. And I started thinking, well, what's going to happen? I looked at the missionary and I was like, don't these people know that anybody could walk in the door and hurt them? He goes, yeah. I said, so do they have a security team? He goes, yeah. I said, oh, good. Where's the security team? He goes, they're right there on the stage with you. I said, what? He goes, oh, y'all are Americans. They'll protect y'all. Not the women. Not the children. Not the men of the congregation, the Americans. Because we didn't have any clue what it felt like to be Romans. You see, while we know we live in a world that's crazy and that at any given point people can hurt us, we get that, right? Like, we live in a sad world where people hurt people. We don't live that way. We don't live at the persecution of our faith. But Paul encourages them to live honorably in front of everyone. I think if somebody was out to hurt my wife and kids, I wouldn't be very honorable to them. 
Because I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Texas where I can wear a gun on my hip through Walmart, right? You can walk in and be a ching, ching, ching. Frozen peas, right? Paul's saying, why don't you show up with love? See what happens then. It may cost you. But you're, you're, you're a worthy sacrifice to God. Look like him and not like them. And he doesn't stop there. If, if, if it wasn't enough that he said, don't repay evil for evil and live honorably in front of everybody, he says this, and it's as possible as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Because peace should be more than just a symbol to us. It shouldn't be something that we just wear around our necks or throw up a peace sign to. Peace is something we should give out to people and, and show them and live in because they deserve to see what Jesus really looks like. And he's like, live in peace. Show honorable character. Don't repay evil for evil. And then he gives them, I believe, maybe a, a, a holding on to point with verse 19. I just want you to know something about Christians in Rome. They could have caused a revolt. They could have. It may not have worked, but they could have. They could have grabbed swords. They could have charged places. They could have overthrown people. It wouldn't have lasted long, but they could have made a dent. But that is not what Paul gives them charge to do. In verse 19, he says this, Friends, don't avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because that is, as it is written, vengeance belongs to me and I will repay, says the Lord. He tells them this. Oh, you can fight back. You're going to lose. Or you can bring the greatest warrior with you. Leave room for God. Leave room for his wrath to take place because injustice will be done when we allow God to control our outcomes in our lives. True justice is served. We allow him to have the outcomes and control those when we quit trying to make things work for our benefit. Instead, when we focus on what would build up the kingdom of God, when we do those things, true justice becomes to get served. But we live in, in a generation of unjust, don't we? I mean, if we're really being honest, we don't really see it unless we can see other people's shoes to see what true unjust looks like. But once you see it, you'll begin to see that God has to step in. Because whenever we try and fix it ourselves, we make it worse. And God's saying, listen, Romans, I know you want to fight back. Let God do it. He's better at it. And the outcome will be just. The question is this. Do we want God to be just or have our outcomes? See, that's what he was asking the Romans. We can get our outcomes if we want. You can kill. You can steal. You can lie. But if I'm not mistaken, that's exactly what the people looked like. And that's why God had to give the people Ten Commandments to live by. Because we could come to our own outcomes. Or we can allow God to bring his. 
when I was in high school, we had a, a friend that played on the football team with us. He, uh, he had a troubled life. He grew up in a, a very abusive household. His dad was a raging alcoholic. His mother was beaten all the time. And uh, we didn't really know that at the time. All we knew is he would show up at school wearing the same thing he'd wear the day before. So we loved him. He was on our football team with us. The shower he took after football practice was the shower he would have. If he didn't take a shower after football practice, he wouldn't have one at the house. He ate all his meals at the school. We learned later on that the lunchroom ladies would box up a dinner for him to take home. Because if they didn't, he wouldn't have dinner. He had breakfast and lunch at the school. We didn't know much about him, really. We thought we did. I mean, I didn't know things about him like back in the day he loved NASCAR. I didn't know that. We didn't know that he had an affinity for reading big books that none of us were reading at the time. I mean, when I got to go to the library, I got joke books, right? Uh, He was getting thick novels. But we did learn a lot about him. Because one day after school, he went home and he hung himself in the front of their house. It shocked our whole school. I mean, we, we thought he was doing fine. We, we enjoyed playing football with him. He played basketball. He's in classes with a lot of our friends. And we thought we knew a lot about him. But we learned a lot about him at his funeral. I learned later on that his uncle wanted to adopt him. His uncle lived in a different town, and over the summer, he would come pick him up, and he would take him to his house, and over the summer, he would kind of melt into normalcy. He got hugs. He was told he was loved. That would have been a good, just way for him to live the rest of his life. I mean, he would have been in his late 30s at this point. Who knows, maybe a family. But instead, we all went to his funeral when we were Uh, He was in junior high, and we were in early high school. I think about him a lot because his dad thought he could raise him better. In fact, told the uncle that, you don't know how to raise kids. I'll raise my kids. He tried to fix him. He told him things like, you know, the reason you get tackled on the football field is you're a sissy. If you're a real man, you wouldn't get tackled. I learned that after his funeral. And it made sense why on the sideline he would cry. I always thought it was because he was hurt, and he was. But it wasn't from what happened on the football field. You see, we always have these outcomes that we feel like we can have. I'm sure the Roman Christians wish they could wake up and there would be no more persecution. That everything would be fine, but if you go today to the Colosseum and you hear the stories, you know what it looks like for Christians. Often chained and lions let out put on poles and killed, ridiculed, made fun of, persecuted. But this is exactly the group that would have read this letter. And they were told to give God space so that he could serve his justice. But Paul doesn't end there. He says this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Our enemies should get our best china. 
They shouldn't get our hand-downs. They should get our best. Because our enemies need Jesus. They need to see him. They need to see his true heart. They need to see that God is loving and that he loves to win people to himself. And Paul ends with this. Don't be conquered by evil. But conquer evil with good. Evil is conquered with good. But how can we find it? A man comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher. And Jesus just stops him and says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. What he's trying to do is find out if he had a sovereign issue with Jesus. Is Jesus really God? That's where we started, right? It's the same question that you have to answer that the Romans had to answer. Either Jesus is really God wrapped in flesh who came and died for us, or he was a lunatic. Your life will prove it. Your life starting right now will prove if you believe Jesus is who he says he was. The difference is this. Today when we leave this building, law enforcement's not going to be outside waiting for you. It's against the law for your boss to fire you because you're a Christian. It's a blessing of living in our nation. It may not always stay that way. But I will say this. We should live as though it may cost us everything. Remember how he starts? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is your holy and pleasing way to truly worship. Are you a true worshiper today? I'm not saying, did you sing when Grant and our team was leading? That doesn't make you a worshiper, it makes you a singer. I'm asking you this, have you given your everything to God? At some point in our lives, we have to make a decision. And, and I think that we've made partial decisions, maybe, but it's either we're going to pursue us and everything that we are, or we're going to pursue God with all we've got. And you may be like this, you may say, God, I, I want to follow after you, but I've got so many things I want to accomplish. I believe there's a reason why it says in Scripture, and on that day many will say to me, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons? Did I not do all these things in your name? And God on that day will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, we can do all of the stuff and not know the man. Today I'm inviting you to come and know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Not halfway, not some of the way, all the way. If he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, you have to make a decision today. It's your decision day to either know Jesus as Lord and Savior or to leave today and just declare, I don't want to. I don't believe there's any other choices. Either today you're saying, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, or I don't. And the inconvenient thing about this is this. We don't know when our last breath will be. But we can know for certain this. Today and in this moment, you can know for certain that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says that if you believe he is who he says he is and confess with your heart that he is Lord, you can be saved. 
doesn't come with walking down an aisle or talking to a pastor. But I can tell you what else it says. If you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. I want Jesus to walk up to God and say, hey, remember that kid from West Texas? That Kyle guy? He preached today. God's going to go, what? That was the best we got? I mean, come on. I want Jesus to tell the Father, that Kyle guy, man, don't we love him? Because God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for your sins. Even when you didn't seek him, he's seeking out you. And today is your day of choice. And it is a choice. I believe from the very time that Jesus rose from the grave, all of creation was crying out to people, come to Jesus. And I believe it's going to echo throughout eternity. But there will come a day where there will be no more ears to hear it. Because all the ears will be in heaven with him or in a place called hell. But today is your choice. To listen to Jesus' words and to follow after him with all you've got. Your whole body, your whole future, every outcome. Give yourself to Jesus. And the Bible says that you will be saved. 